And welcome back to the Growth Hacking Podcast uh, with your host, Nima from New Republic. I'm also joined today with my co-founder, Stacey Isaac. Say hi, Stacey. Hi, everyone. And a very special guest all the way from Melbourne coming to us via Zoom, Matt from Country Road. Matt, you want to say hello? Hello. Good to be here. Actually, there's two Matts in Country Road. So this is Matt from Country Road Group who runs the digital ship, right? That's the best way to put it? Yeah, fair. Fantastic. So, Matt, thanks for taking the time and, and joining us. I thought before we start, maybe you could do a little bit of a history into yourself, how you came to one of the most loved and famous uh, retailers in Australia and, and kind of what is your role encompassed there? Yeah, I guess I've been in digital one way or another for the better part of 10 years now, but mostly in startups and um, spending some time with some of the big tech players as well. By happy chance, I think there's been um, a couple of interventions from Lady Luck in my, my career to date, but one was taking an interview with a then unknown pure play fashion retailer called The Iconic, um, which was a job I eventually took. So I was with them and part of their leadership team from about a couple of months pre-launch to another four and a half years post-launch. So saw saw that that business become much of what it is today. Um, and then after that, jumped into Uber um, as a bit of a left-hand turn, but joined them, interestingly, just as they were gaining critical mass, but hadn't really quite become sort of the mass market product and brand that they are um, today um, and was part of their leadership team within Australia for four years. But yeah, as you said before, most recently, now GM and Digital at, at the Country Road Group, which obviously has the five brands within that group and uh, pretty much manage everything from an e-com tech stack perspective. I drive our innovation and customer experience pipeline from a product perspective and then also manage um, through the other half of my team, all paid and performance digital marketing for both CRG and and our um, friends at our sister company, David Jones. Sounds busy. Just out of curiosity, I mean, I know we're going to talk experimentation, but what is what were the nuggets that you picked up, like from the iconic and then Uber that you see, you know, really coming to bear at Country Road? Like, you know, Uber, you really picked up innovation, and that, and you're finding like you're leaning on that experience that. Country, like, have you picked up stuff along the way? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we were talking about this recently, I think, Nima, like there's something about time spent in startups, which is, um, you know, a really exciting time in your professional life, but it's, it's also pretty intense, right? Um, and so it sort of tends to shape everything you do thereafter, regardless of whether it's a startup or not. But I think the, the salient things that are front of mind for me and the stuff that we try to push really hard culturally within within CRG to sort of reframe how we think about digital and, and the path forward is, First, you know, this idea of a growth mindset, it sounds like such a small thing, but it, but it really can't be underestimated. And, and the difference between framing up a problem as, you know, how do we grow 10% year on year versus how do we become a half billion dollar business in three years? It's a subtle shift, but in some respects and in others, you know, a really obviously big one. But using that big, hairy question as your departure point and stepping backwards from there can really change the answer and what you think is important year on year. So using using that as a, as a real anchor um, has something been something that I've tried to 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 bring across and really push people to dream big. Like we want to swing hard, or you know, why why are we bothering if it's not going to make a, a real lockstep change in our business? And then the other I think is, and I know the you know familiar turf again in our conversations is just attitude to failure. Um, and this idea of um, you know failing forward or just thinking about failure as as the the price of progress 
Um, and then starting to obsess a little bit around whether you and your team are sort of, you know, are you failing often enough? Are you breaking things often enough? Because um, I think it dovetails really nicely into this idea of a growth mindset where, you know, in, in all the many versions of the future, who really cares if you've grown 40% year on year, where you, if you could have grown 200%. And I think, you know, really leaning into breaking a few eggs along the way is, is pretty critical to that. So two, two, two key things there, I think. And then I think the other thing as well. Which, wait, wait, before you skip that, where, yeah. where did you learn that? Like they're two pretty powerful statements. Was that like, was that a shared thing that happened to both the iconic and Uber? Because iconic type cut their teeth in a in a time when e-com wasn't where it is today. So like 100%. was that an iconic mindset or was that like an Uber mindset? Or a startup mindset. Well, I get both startups, but like you know how some companies they just they lean into certain oh. things in a really dramatic way. Was that like Uber that did that or was it the iconic? So I've always wondered that. They both do it in their in their um, their own way. So they all have their own version of like, you know, their, their cultural values or their ways of working principles, which all startups and techs have in one shape or another, pretty centrally have taking big bets at the core of core of their values. And so it does it does permeate. But I think it's also just the luxury of being unencumbered by, you know, a legacy business, right? Um, but then also the existential challenge of well, if we don't swing hard, if we don't go for the billion dollars, like we could be wiped out tomorrow. We're not, we're not mm. an established business that will, you know, sunrise, sunset will still tick over regardless of what we do. There's a, yeah, the, the nature of the challenge and the motivation within a startup, I think is, is common to all. And, and that kind of mindset, I think is um, common to, to all, at least the successful ones, I'd say. Have you found that, have you found that challenging at Country Road, that mindset? Yeah, because because it is such a um, it's such a gear shift, particularly in retail, right? Where for, for decades the way you think about the future is comping year on year growth, and again, like I said, you know, it's not that 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 place that type of thinking is still has its place and is still valuable, but it's sort of when you work backwards from a different departure point or a different point on the horizon, how you assess the option set before you changes drastically right because mm. you know, lots of things can give you 10 percent year-on-year growth but if you're looking at you know that that challenge they call that around like what's going to get us a half a billion dollars well suddenly the option set sort of you're able to think about it with a bit more clarity around well yes there's lots of good opportunities here but actually only a b and d are going to move us forward in terms of getting towards a billion dollars the rest will only get us so far and we need yeah. to have, you know, that, this idea of having focus on what will really get you to the, the big milestones. Love that. Mm. I really love that. So the, the idea of fail, far, fail forward, you know, fail often, I mean, that's just like the heartlands of experimentation. So firstly, thank you for setting up the next question so perfectly. <laughs> I just, I look, and, and I, I think the way I set this up before we started recording this was like, you know, I have, I, I have this view in my mind and it's something me and Stace talk about all the time around the, the, the changing nature of experimentation in Australia and how there's so many Me Too's coming in. So there's, there's one side, which is that, and I, and I really love how, you know, I've always wondered, does anyone listen to this podcast? And recently I've had all these people going, when I listen to your podcast, I'm like, you actually listen to our podcast? That's awesome. So I started thinking like, hey, listen, like I, you know, we're sitting there going, there's all these people saying they do it, but we know they don't do it properly. And it's great because more people in the, in the dark room making noise about it, it's great, it's going to grow the category. But how do you ensure that people don't get burnt through the journey? Because all of us suffer when one person comes in and wants to be a cowboy. And given that you've gone through the journey of both building experimentation teams in-house and, you know, iconic and some of those other, and then having to find partners as well, I was really keen on discussing with you. I mean, of course, we're going to talk about the role of experimentation for you guys, but like 
for you, that journey to finding, building an experimentation program, the importance of a partner, that's the kind of stuff I really want to explore today. Mm-hmm. So I guess to that point is let, let's start at the beginning, right? You walk in, there's an experimentation program at Country Road Group, yeah. right? Firstly, you come from organisations, Uber and the, were they experimentation first or were they output first, experiment later? Yeah, I'd say experimentation experimentation first in their own way um like i think what what that culture and the expression of the you know experiment led we're really we're talking about agile here right like what what agile looks like and its expression in different different organizations looks looks different and and not everyone can afford the um the in the early days the the benefits of strategic partners and platforms like optimizely but certainly like that was 100 percent at the core of both those businesses yeah yeah and so when you came in and you assessed country road what were you looking for in that program and then what were the milestone steps that you went what do i need to do next specifically with experimentation or specifically within experience so how did it fit into your overall picture of the business and then how did you then go what do i need to do next with the program that i've got because I know a lot of companies, a lot of people step into roles. Mm. And they're like, there's a program over here. Is it good? Is it bad? I have no idea. And then they go, and you had some experience, Delina. And then on top of that, they then go, do I keep building what I have or do I find a partner to come in and help me expand on it and the role the partner plays? So I'd really love if we could dive into that side of your journey. So there's probably two bits to it, right, which is... Um... How do we elevate and, and central? I'll, I'll put greater focus on experimentation within our, in our business and then sort of what was our path forward from there. I think on the first one, though, it was just around how do you embed a genuinely agile, customer-centric culture? And I think that is necessarily about, you know, I think it's, it's probably a phrase that's sort of in various guises wildly overused, but being genuinely data-driven, recognising that the classic mistake that so many businesses make without even realising it is that they'll make quite significant customer-facing decisions based on a data set where, you know, N equals the number of people in the room, all of whom are employees, most of whom are probably quite senior and, you know, like highly non-representative of your average customer as they dial in from, you know, their homes in Double Bay or Brighton whilst on Zoom. Like it's just shifting that, recognising that bias and recognising that particularly in retail and particularly at the scale that, you know, CRG and our competitors operate in the true of Uber and Iconic as well, you will never be your customer. Um, so how do you at scale bring the customer back into the center of everything you do? And I think there was a bit of a cultural reset there for us where, you know, there was a lot of calling out and resetting what good looked like in terms of how we thought about opportunities and problems and, you know, not being that business anymore that was making, you know, big customer facing decisions based on a sample size of, you know, one managing director. Like that, that was probably the first step. Second was, I think the honest truth around where we'd, we'd gotten to was, Um, We'd invested heavily in starting to build that experimentation capability internally. But I think, you know, it had gotten to a point where the um, capability in-house was was far outstripping where we were culturally and how we could really leverage the benefit of that. Um, and so, you know, the, the way we, you know, came to, to cross paths, you and I, was was around. Well, how do we how do we hit pause on on scale um, whilst still moving this question of how we tackle experimentation forward within our business? And that's kind of the value that we got from from you, right? Like, I think, are we doing more experimentation than we did twelve months ago? Yes, yes, we are. Are we doing as much as we plan to be doing 12, 12 months from now? Absolutely not. Like we're, we're looking to really scale from uh, the end of this calendar year. But the nice thing about having the right partners around you is that we've been able to accelerate the maturity of the program, even if, you know, the the, the volume or the output hasn't been moving at that same pace. And I think that's been the really the nice story of, um, you know, what we've both been able to achieve 
on yep. experimentation fund at CRG. Yeah. So it's been about creating expertise rather than velocity for you. At first, yeah, yeah. So so setting the right cultural foundations, maturing how we think about the program, and really putting structure and some proper strategy around it and then looking to really accelerate um just cognizant that if we hadn't done you know hadn't done those two two other pieces first it's you know experiment maybe this will make you flinch name of it experimentation for experimentation's sake is good but you know does it give you the focus and the insight to really drive forward your strategic program no it can be it can be problematic right you can there can be a lot of wasted effort but i think now we're really at a, at a position where it does have that focus we do have good north stars and there's a nice it's nice how our program of experimentation complements what's coming in our product roadmap for instance it's working together rather than working in silos so you see a partner as being supporting of the existing team because it's an interesting position you guys are in because often we mm. work with businesses who have already got an existing team or we come in as more of an advisory or the opposite way so it's not often that they've got an in-house and then actually go out outsource and then potentially in source so what, what was the kind of you, you kind of said about capability but can you dig a little deeper as to why you look to go outsource when you had a team already yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it was probably driven by the recognition that there were some burning platform issues that I really need to focus on. And I, I wanted the right trusted partners around me to, to make sure that, that, you know, experimentation as a program and as a team within our business had the right the right stewardship. And we still had someone as a thought leader who was able to move that forward within our business, notwithstanding the fact that I was diving deep on, on other areas. But I think the model, the model really works well for me or for us, I should say, for two reasons. I think first is like, yes, we've got an internal team, not a huge internal team. The flexibility that we're able to um, achieve from a resourcing perspective by tapping into different different capability within your broader broader team is, is just critical for us because we're just not at that critical mass where um, it makes sense for, for us to run out and, you know, build, a, build the kind of team we hope to build in the future because we're just not there from a velocity perspective. So the ability to sort of not be encumbered by resource limitations and resourcing mix um, and still move the, the program forward has been really important for us and then the other is just let's call it thought leadership but i think there's a really nice thing in all our conversations between you know account managers and and the brand digital leads around you know you're constantly tugging you know tugging at a hem going hey have you looked at this you know this business in a completely non-adjacent sector to you that you probably never ever bloody think about actually they're solving the same problem that you're trying to solve have you thought about solving it that way as well and and that i think is you know that kind of fresh perspective i think is really good challenge because you can get really trapped within your own sector around looking to solve problems in the same way that your competitors do and it's like you know is that helpful maybe maybe not um you're, you're banking a lot on your competitors having solved it the right way you get to much more interesting and creative answers when you know with partners like new republic we can we can look further afield at how um how others are, are thinking about the same things yeah it makes sense really if you went back like you know you've held some pretty cool jobs and you've, you've learned a lot in your career and I love the way you frame stuff I, I always I come out of these conversations wanting to make more t-shirts with sound bites from some of the stuff you've said <laughs> but if you, if you had to go to a marketer who's gone into a new role you know and they said look I've got this experimentation program what are the critical things they should be because I just think about the person listening the guy or girl listening going yeah you know what I've you know I've stepped in I've got a team what is the decision of have I got the right structure in place versus I need to make a change? Like what's that critical thought process that if you had to advise someone, you know, what, what are the three things that you look out for, the five things that makes them then go, right, I need to reassess what I'm doing. What would be that advice for you? I think first and foremost is like, I think it's a Jim Collins quote, but do you have the right people on the bus? 
nothing is more important than talent and actually having talent and people who are sort of of you know when we're when we're recruiting into digital at CRG now we we often talk about hiring people of the same tribe um, as us you know building a bit of a nucleus of people who think about the same think about the world in the same way as we do and tackle problems in the same way I think that's the starting point because when you've got talent you've got people who think about the world the same way that you do a lot of other imperfections in how you work and how you organize yourselves can actually be solved and and you you know every successful startup is proof of that right like they're absolute bloody chaos internally and you know the team structures are very very casual and invariably sort of a reset every six to nine months particularly in the early phases but doesn't doesn't matter if you've got the right people and people with the right mindset but i think the second thing i'd say is it's this trap of thinking that you know you can do great things in digital off you know the smell of an oily rag and to some degree that's true that's the power of digital we all we all know this but actually to do it well is a is a different challenge and and that's where i think you know you can have really meaningful and interesting conversations about having the right tooling, the right platforms, the right partners around you, all of which, you know, can can rack up to a, a meaningful investment, but it's just shifting that mindset about how how you do digital really well. Because I think it boils down to the, the you know, one thing I know to be true, which is like great products or great digital products or great digital experiences, they look so simple, but there's, you know, the elegance of simplicity is that it's really hard to do, right? And so to do that, you need the right talent, you need the right tooling, you need the right partners, and just be really honest that actually the, the, the opportunity before you is actually huge but also has its has its really unique challenges to it as well yeah and can i ask as well just on brand is obviously my background in fashion and design like i'm i'm all about the brand and the design and coming to new republic was all about the testing and we you know I, i've seen a lot of businesses there's this kind of tug of war between the brand team and the digital team funny you say because we were talking so, about that just before you walked yeah it's, it's so important and you know i'm a big believer in, in upholding a brand but then at the same time you, that might be competing with what's going to be best for a conversion so do you have a little bit of tug of war within your business with the, the brand guys and the digital guys or massive you know, like a bit of like harmony between the two no absolutely not <laughs> nor will, will there ever be i suspect um no there's real there's real tension right and it's it's something something we we navigate but it's i mean experimentation for us is is the ammunition that we look for to sort of get things across the line that we believe to be the right ideas and sort of a, a really structured and objective way of pushing forward a conversation because i think that what they push for in terms of our brand creative lead what they do they do exceptionally well exceptionally well um and the, the tension in any fashion website is that it's it's one part catalog it's one part you know very functional e-commerce it's a shop at the end of the day right managing that intersection is, is really difficult um, but impossible if you don't have data at the center of that because at the end of the day again it comes back to that same thing which is like yeah you've created a thing of beauty here and actually there are a lot of instances where we step back and we're like this is your show like go nuts with this part of the site this is this is absolutely your moment and the brand's moment to to shine from a storytelling perspective but in lots of other respects we want to we Want to understand what, what's actually better for our customer um, and we can't do that without going out and getting that sort of data and bring it back into the conversation and i think from our point of view it's about combining that beautiful design with what's going to convert really well and, and finding that kind of balance because sometimes it's about just the use of an icon or a little bit of extra yeah. padding or so you can kind of get to the same outcome but i, I think that's where Nima and i work really well because we're coming at it from the two angles but mm. i know with a lot of businesses there is that kind of tug of war and so it's just finding that kind of perfect balance between 
that beautiful, you know, Perfect. design that's performing really well as well. But it's a healthy tension too, right? Like you want yeah, you want that from a brand perspective. You don't if that if one party is too strong on, on either side of the fence, it results in, in bad outcomes. But when you look at some, you know, best in class retailers and how they sort of manage that and deliver such strong UX experiences, it's kind of it is itself a thing of beauty, how they manage to to balance that tension. I think it's education as well. I know, you know, to go back five years ago you'd have, you know, really hard conversations about best practice for where, you know, whereas I think nowadays a lot of people are a little bit more averse to what is going to actually perform. So it makes the conversation a little bit easier. And reframing it into sort of familiar constructs, you know, around a conversation, you know, how you'd think about visual merchandising in your store or, or, or how you're doing your windows for Christmas. Like no one's walking in or people walking in and walking straight out, you know, how you would then rethink about the problem or what you're doing in store would be, be very, very different. Like you'd be quite responsive to that. That's less obvious on digital because you can't see your customer but again by bringing data back into the to the center at all by, by testing these things um to see you know how how the customer's voting with their f- digital feet as it were i think you, you managed to get back to a healthy place i love this intersection of the conversation i just want to bring it back to i guess the core of what we're going to around partners and finding the right partners i get that i understand the intersection of when someone comes into a role and they're looking at their experimentation program, right people on the bus, also being able to understand like, do we have the right skill sets and are we being challenged in our thinking? If you have to advise someone around finding a partner, you know, and as the market gets more and more cluttered and there's more me to it, how, what would, I mean, forget New Republic. I, I know I know we work together, so this is not a plug for us. In, in genuine, like, how do you as a client find the right partner? There's so many people out there. How do you... What are the things that you look for in knowing that you've got someone who is going to do the things that, you know, it's a it's a big call to go outside the house. You know, it's a big decision. I know when you've got an in-house and you go outside, that's a big decision. So keen to understand, like, how, how do you go through the process of finding, like, what advice would you give? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a hard one given how crowded the marketplace is, right? And probably especially so for the classic challenge in digital is sort of this asymmetry of expertise that exists, right? Like truth is you're you're either a digital native or you're not to some degree. And if you're not, you're always on the back foot a little bit. I think the two things that are front of mind for me is like nothing is more powerful than than word of mouth um, recommendations and looking to others that you trust in market and canvassing their opinions and their experiences. That That is that is ultimately super, super powerful, right? But then equally just, you know, not forgetting that there's lots of external benchmarks. Like there's lots of industry awards and whatnot that sort of to some degree you know, as low as I am, sort of look to those kind of things. It's still a relevant, relevant touch point, right? Like how are these people sort of tracking from that perspective as well? But word, word of mouth, I think, is ultimately the most, the most powerful. Yeah. What about when it comes to assessing capability? Are you, do you think that's as important, or do you think that that's covered off in the word of mouth component of it? You would hope to get most of it from from word of mouth, and then I think, I guess, there's two schools of thought around how structured you choose to be around assessing capability. For me, it's just a question of gut. When you meet someone who you know, bloody good at what you do, what they do, sorry, you, you know very quickly. And it's yeah. it's to some degree trusting that gut. And then just setting clear, you know, expectations around what the first three to six months of that relationship look like, setting some, you know, ambitious deliverables and seeing how they deliver against those. And yeah. if they don't, like having the courage to walk away, yeah. not getting stuck with a partner where it's like, oh shit, you know, we've invested this much time with them and it's gonna be such a hassle. Find someone new, but it's not working, it's not working, and it's just a waste of your time. Yeah. And, and and what was the greatest challenge you think in, in you know in your life of bringing partners on board? I mean, was the great is the greatest challenge around the cultural fits? And how do you work around that? Like, you know, you're bringing two, you're, you're selecting a partner to come on the bus with a whole bunch of people. 
is culture a big part of your decision making or is it more around you know the word of mouth the gut feel that you're saying but is there in in that how important is cultural fit to the overall you know performance of the program the performance of the relationships and how well it's going to run massively for me for me it's it's you know some of the things I touched on before and things that are front of mind when we're recruiting and looking to, you know, stack the deck with people who look and feel like us is, is, is exactly the same way I, I think about a partner. Um, you really want someone who's culturally aligned with you and able to, to run with you, particularly in digital, right? Like anyone in a digital role already has their work cut out for them, whether it's, you know, changing hearts and minds, educating, you know, their exec stakeholders. So there's so much we have to do just to move forward and, do what we do to say nothing of, you know, the soaring ambitions of, of people, you know, or expectations, I should say, of people in digital roles and, you know, some of the strategic goals are being set. Why would you set a partner who you're also trying to fight against? Like you need to be working hand in glove and, and have real confidence that culturally it's a, it's a really strong fit. But, what, but at what point do you find that, because, you know, the right partner is also going to challenge you, make you uncomfortable. They're not there for you to, to pat you on the back and go, you made the right decision, you're the best. Sometimes it's about challenging the status quo and challenging how things are done. Like you're quite open to it. You're open to hearing other conversations. And so I, I just wonder, like, do you have like a like a rule that you're, you know, like the four stages of teams, you know, the, the forming, the storming, you know, performings do you have like a, an ethos do you work to or do you do you kind of leave it as open and hey if, if they really piss me off i'm just gonna get rid of them and if that is the clue i need to take on board i shall <laughs> <laughs> yeah like live feedback on a podcast yeah right? exactly <laughs> <laughs> um look no, i mean those 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 tools and frameworks about thinking about thinking about this kind of problem are all useful and stuff that we've looked at uh, in, in roles previously. My view, though, ultimately is, I hate quoting this because it just sounds like such a wanky tech thing to, to quote, but one of the um, the values that Uber had um, when I first joined long before IPO was let builders build. And I think this is just so relevant to the question here, which is like your role as a leader is to find the right people who are aligned and think about you know the world the same way you do, that are you know, excited and, and really energised by the ambitious goals you set how that then comes together sometimes the best thing you can do as leaders just step away <laughs> like step back see how it unfolds organically because people will find you know far more creative ways of working together that work better for them than you maybe would prescribe of course jump in and, and give people a bum steer here and there but you, your role as as a good leader i think is just to get out of the way to some degree let the partner and the team sort it out because you've got a strong team and you've got a strong partner the answer will be a strong one have faith, faith in the process then shape it for you know whatever improvements around the edges you see or what you need as a as a stakeholder internally for upwards reporting and whatnot but for the most part yeah again hate to quote it but i think it was just a really powerful principle just let builders build get out of the way let them do what they do really yeah. best if you've got the right people i think it's very true it's about building any team isn't it you, you want to find that expertise and that talent and allow them to to really shine but i also find like you need i hate saying this but you need the rah-rah like, I, I think one of the most important things around experimentation, because it is such a new concept and, you know, you're an advantage, you come from a culture like that, so you kind of know what to look for. You need the person inside, the partner or in the business that is going to stand up and shout from the hilltops how powerful this is and 
slowly shift that mindset. You know? It's a cultural shift, isn't it, really? Yeah. I'm sure, Matt, you could talk to that because whether it's an internal team or whether it is a partner, there is a real cultural shift when you bring in a, a program of experimentation and you have to get everybody on board and get the stakeholders on board. And often it can be a quite a new um, way of thinking or a new way um, of introducing yeah. a program. So getting that buy-in, did you find it, have you found it challenging? Or well, can I add insulting the MD with you're not the customer and he's like, yo, what? <laughs> Oh, I've said that to one before. <laughs> Never shy of a spicy comment. I think, I mean, to your point, more seriously though, is, is, is you know, good digital leaders and good digital partners have an element of shamelessness to them, which is to say they are always ready to stand up and talk about and elevate what the team has just done, you know, off to the edges here that, that actually is, you know, really meaningful success. And it's really leaning into that, which is, I think, sort of culturally a bit uncomfortable for us, particularly as Australians. Um, and also, you know, anyone who's from the UK more generally, but that is, it's just so critical. You just got to just keep beating that drum to, to constantly shine a light on, on what you're doing to not just in service of elevating it, but recognizing that, you know, to land one concept um, or, or one idea or one true understanding of the win we've just had, you probably have to talk about it two, three, four times. Um, but certainly when you're talking about the value of a program of experimentation, it's, it's just a constant drum you have to, you have to beat. And that's, that's a nice thing. Right, like if you lean in, you get over the discomfort of being a bit shameless about what you know you and the team have have achieved. Eventually, you start to find that people start leaning in back and asking you not just the right questions, but good questions. And you get to a point, I think, where you know through through exposure and sort of through um, educating stakeholders that maybe aren't in the digital space, you, you create this safe space where people are suddenly much more engaged and um, much more interested in the conversation than they were previously. Because certainly, there's that barrier up front you're, you're often up against, which is Oh, this all seems a bit, you know, there's a lot of acronyms, there's a lot of buzzwords, got no idea what you just said, is like, what does it all mean? And people just, it's it's really a really human reaction to all of that just to disengage. Um, so yeah, being shameless, beating that drum and creating that safe space where for your fellow leaders, bringing them on that journey as well. Mm, that makes sense. So man, we've talked a lot about finding a partner. When do you take it in-house again? Like at what point do you kind of go, okay, we're now at the stage. So, you know, companies will go and say, yeah, let's get a partner. But what's the point where you transition back in-house? Because, you know, I, I've always said experimentation is something that the business needs to do. It's a cultural shift, right? Yeah. And, I want, you know, you lean on a partner for the stuff you said, the expertise, the skill sets, you're busy focusing on other learning platforms. You need a leader who can come in and just look after it and steward it for a while. Yeah. What point do you say, okay, now it's time to take this back in-house. Like now it's time to bring this cultural shift. So the team's done a good job in running it. When's the point that, you know, if I'm if I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense about when and how to find a partner. But what's that transition point? Because it does have to come in-house. It is something that has to be done in-house. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good question, right? I mean, for so many businesses is, I'd say there's a there's a threshold challenge around from the perspective of your tech stack and what's what's possible from the perspective of, you know, what are timelines to productionization considerations like that like are you ready to start running fast and really scaling the the output and the velocity of what you're doing because um that was part of the problem that we had which is you know as, as a result of some of our limitations from an architectural perspective we just had this backlog of you know lots of stuff that was super successful and was in this endless queue for um front-end dev resource to actually bring it to life and nothing was really getting getting to getting to that point so i think just being recognizing that's a threshold or a hygiene factor that you want to be clear on and then the second i think is you know, measuring up your team internally and 
thinking about like how many of them are talking and you know thinking about the same things and proposing similar sort of ideas to what your partner is and i think that's just a good yeah. litmus test around what's you know from a barometer perspective what what level of maturity have you gotten to and when the two start to look and feel the same it's then yeah. like right this is when we start phasing yeah, it in and, and yes are we ready to really run fast and productionize everything that's successful you know soon after you know uh reaching a successful outcome experiment yes 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 that's when I think you can really start to run. And, and I think what sits around that as well is just the, the cultural piece as well. Like how, how, how effectively have you embedded agile and, and genuine customer centricity into how the yeah. organization thinks about digital? So, so, what come, so what comes first in that culture? Culture, yeah. Yeah, I think Absolutely so. Culture. I, think, I think the resource point is very important as well because we've seen it time and time again where you've got so many tests which haven't been productionized because they're missing dev capability or they just don't have the right UX designer in-house. Or so it can really, I think, stint a successful program if you don't exactly. have the right mix. So I think, it, I think um, from what we've seen is successful, you really have to have yeah. the resources in-house performing and humming and not have to be leaning on that external partner yeah. as much. And then at that point, you can successfully bring it in because you don't want to lose that momentum. You Often you've had to prove mm-hmm. a program with your stakeholders and you don't want to kind of get halfway through and then nothing's getting launched and they're not seeing the results and then it all kind of stops. Part yeah. of that is just, you know, how effectively have you built buy-in from the rest of leadership as well, right? Like we're starting to hire resources where, you know, we're ring-fencing them just for productionization of successful experiments. We've only done that. We've only been able to do that because we've been out there you know, with the support of New Republic as well and the team that work with us beating that drama around, hey, look at this, like this, this thing that seems you know, otherwise so insignificant, actually, here's why we care about it. Here's why it ladders up to another $2 million of, of value to our organization. You get to a point where people are like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I am prepared for you to invest in headcount that's relatively, you know, expensive-ish. And for you to not really have a concrete plan as to what that person's going to do. And for me, just to have faith that, you know, as, as we run this program and we continue to test things in a mature and structured way, we, we're going to be adding value um, and it's a, it's a worthwhile investment. So there's a last question. I, I, we've taken up too much of your time as it is. Last question. If you have to give one piece of advice to someone who is looking to find an experimentation partner who's out there and they're kind of figuring out who's the right person. What, what was, what's your piece of advice? Now, that, yeah. and by the way, you don't have to say talk to Neymar and Stacey at New Republic. That, that does not help. Just genuinely, like, someone comes to you and says, man, I'm thinking of doing this. Like, what would you say to them? What's your advice for them? I think, I think just remembering that perfection is the enemy of progress. Like, finding the right partner can be hard, but to some degree, I think there's just baseline value in just doing it like getting this started and you can feel your way through finding, you know, whether that first partner is the right partner or whether that's a that's an ongoing journey. It's more important that you just start mm-hmm. even in a small, imperfect kind of way. So you've got something you can continue to build yeah. on. That's that's infinite. Yeah. I mean, just doing it. And is- that doesn't matter if it's internal or external. It's just a matter of starting. So it's less about the right partner. It's more about the fact that you've started. That journey will eventuate into whatever direction it's going to take, right? Exactly right. Exactly but the right. Culture, the culture is, I think, key you've got to have the right culture for either an internal or an external party to be able to succeed and you've got to be doing something to actually anchor that culture right like you can't just it's very hard in the abstract to extol the virtues of customer centricity and agile and, and you know all yeah. the unlocks that come with from that perspective from an experimentation perspective when you're actually doing it and you can actually say shit look at this like <laughs> we're getting yeah. you know 210 percent more signups every week from a you know edm perspective like this is this is meaningful and people are engaging with this we're creating value it might be small at first but yeah. there's green shoots here that we need to 
that sit up and pay attention to. I think that's much more meaningful to then be like, you know, you can then start planting own conversations when you are in that, you know, that meeting room with with um, all the senior stakeholders. You can actually say, well, why don't we just test this? Like, why don't we, like, why are we trying to decide this? Shouldn't yeah. we just let the customer decide what this is? But, you, you know, if you don't even have a program to begin with, it's very yeah, hard to sort of to... plant those um, plant those seeds. Maybe if, if you don't mind, I want to summarise what you're saying to me because I really love the nuggets, right? There's this piece which is, if I had to connect the dots, there's this piece which is build the culture within the organisation that it's okay to ask questions and test things and fail it. So, so build that culture. In building that culture, find the right people to come together who've got the similar ethos and thinking, right? Yep. It doesn't matter how you start or where you start, just start testing. Just yep. start. Don't worry about if it's perfect or imperfect. Just start testing. Even if it's a button colour, just start testing, right? Celebrate your wins, then start looking at, do I have the ability to do it in-house with my skills and capabilities? And if I don't, look for a partner who can come in, do the song and dance, do the stewardship. As you build that capability and skill in-house, they kind of guide with you. So really, it doesn't begin at the right partner. It begins at the right culture that you set, and then it works down into Partners like six or seventh from that, even a partner with the wrong culture is not going to be able to succeed. Yeah, 100%. And, and just like having as, you know, coming back to one of my earlier comments, your core North Star has to be your attitude to breaking things and failing, right? Like it's sort of this, this idea that I think you and I were talking about the other week, Nemo, which is, you know, who's the more customer-centric person or player in market? Is it is it the one that delivers a flawless experience that, you know, everything is sort of squeaky clean and gold-plated and it all seems great versus the person who, you know, from time to time, there are things that are broken around the edges, but they're constantly iterating to yeah. constantly improve that experience. Like at first glance, you know, the latter example, it sounds like a shitty customer experience, but actually they're the, the far more customer-centric organization because that second one is just defining what that experience looks like based solely on internal perspectives. That second doesn't have it right in first instance, but is iterating really quickly yeah. to get to the right answer based on actual customer feedback, not what the organization thinks. Yeah, I And I think also, I think you had a good analogy, which is, you know, about the bricks and mortar store and when you walk in, you have that emotional connection. <laughs> With a brand, the visual merchandising is important. But then once you're in, you want that salesperson to come and get your size. You want to be led to the change room. You want someone to pack it. You want the transaction to go through. And I think that's kind of a lot about what we do, especially when it comes to e-com retail. It's about having that emotional connection at the beginning. But if you don't have that usability or that, you know, really tight customer journey, or if you're not meeting the customer needs, you're going to lose customers very quickly. And I think 100%. now more than ever, with everyone going on digital, you, you have to be listening to what that customer wants 100% absolutely and I think it's sort of maybe maybe one last thought here I remember my boss at the time who was back through phase one of COVID whatever that means anymore in the current the current landscape but he, he turned around to me at one point and this is probably about a year ago he's like who do, you, who do you think is winning in COVID in digital and went away and thought about it and you know certainly at that stage lots of people were doing lots of interesting and novel things like uh, Lorna Jane and Aesop were, were experimenting with some some pretty out there stuff from Australian retail perspective but the answer I came back to him was we don't know who's winning. We won't know for two, three, maybe your more years. And, and the reason for that is like the people who will win out of this are the people who have really responded to the challenge of being genuinely agile, incrementalist, customer-centric in, in how they're thinking about their digital experiences. And that is the heart of that has to be philosophically 
being data centric and, and testing your way to the right answer. And these guys could be tiny right now, right? But it's, it becomes a compounding advantage, right? Because you get better and better and better at what your customer really wants because you're responding to what they want. And that just sort of, you know, fuels a bit of a virtuous flywheel in terms of your growth. And so it might be a pretty minor player, but I'm willing to bet, you know, three years from now, we'll look back and go, shit, that brand that was sort of not super impressive and definitely not large, God, they've done well. And it will all be because, you know, they started nailing this stuff now. I, I think the person who's going to win out of this, I can answer that. It's the company who who used Zoom's name, but they spelt it with an H. So it was Z-H-O-O-M and everyone in the stock market started buying their shares and their <laughs> price was going through the roof. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I think we're winning. We are definitely winning with that name. I gotta say, I started this with around how to find the right partner if you're a client, but I'm walking out of this around how to find the right client. That thought around it's such a really valuable point. And like finding the right culture, finding the right ethos, the right team. I mean, I did that instinctively. You know, every time we work with a client, we always say, look, we want to do a POC, we want to figure out what it's like. Mm. But I, I never really crystallized in the way you framed it. And I, I honestly, I'm walking away very clear that. Just understanding, do they have a fail-first culture? Are they open to that sense of constant iterative learning and failing? That's such a valuable point. I'm really glad we had this chat. I had it for a different reason, but I'm coming out of it far more richer than when I first walked in. So I really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're you're listening, invest in Zoom, spelled with an H. (laughs) Sure, the stock price is going through the roof right now. Man, listen, uh, we've taken up an hour of your time. Thank you so much for your time. I always love catching up and having a chat to you. So just from both of us, thank you so much. Very happy to be here and, and participate in that. It was a great conversation, I think. Thanks, it was man. great to chat, Matt. Well, just a big thanks, Matthew Horn, for joining us from uh, GM of Digital Ad Country Road Group. As always, if you have any comments, you can see at the bottom of the um, Spotify or Apple, wherever you are, you can see the hello at New Republic. Drop us an email with any recommendations or questions you might have. We'll get over to Matt. Stacey, thank you. And uh, we'll see you on our next podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.